You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Uh, welcome and good morning again. It's great to be together. If you're at home watching, welcome. I know that um, a lot of our campus, most of our campus is up in the uh, Santa Barbara area at Lake Kachuma at a campus retreat. It's great to have them, uh, the ones that are here. Welcome. I'm sure you had a reason you couldn't go and camp by the beach, so or camp by the lake, rather. It's great to have you. Today is a special day. It is Palm Sunday. I got palm branches right here. And I want to begin today uh, with a verse. So let's let's read a verse together. The title is, Who is This? But I'd like to read this verse that's on the screen. It says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And so Jesus was on his way up to Jerusalem with his disciples, and he tells them ahead of time, Hey, here's what's going to happen. I mean, they were in the flow of an excitement in life. I mean, the ministry was building. It was incredible. Jesus had become famous among that town and that, that area of Judea. They knew about him. People knew about him. And here he's going up to the big bustling city, the center of, uh, you know, really society in that, in that culture. And yet he tells his guys, I'm going to be taken in. The leaders and authorities are going to arrest me, bring me in. They're going to condemn me to death. The Gentiles are going to mock and flog and crucify me, meaning the Roman Empire. But on the third day, I'll rise again. And, you know, I don't think his guys understood it at all. We read other accounts when he had said that, that uh, Peter basically said, that's not happening. And Jesus straightened them out. And that's that's in a different chapter. But. As he was going into Jerusalem, he got them ready because this is a momentous time. And today is known as Palm Sunday because as Jesus was going into Jerusalem with his disciples, this is the first time during his ministry days that he went into Jerusalem. And he is going to fulfill some scriptures and present himself really as the king of Israel, but in a way unlike anyone would have imagined. And we know that today, being Palm Sunday, we are five days from the Passover, which is the night that Jesus was taken in and crucified. And we're going to gather together on Friday as a congregation to remember that and pray about that and just have a great night of devotional. But today is Palm Sunday. It's a day to remember who Jesus is and what he means to our lives and to enter into this week of the passion, where we reflect on what the cross and then the resurrection really means. So we're going to talk a little bit about it, but I thought just as a a preaching tool, I wanted to get you to remember what we talked about today. And so to do that, I have got two palm leaves. This one's like a, uh, it's kind of like a California fan palm. It's kind of, we see them everywhere. I cut a piece off the tree at my house. I wiped it down just so you know. And then this is a banana tree by my house as well. It's in my, both these in my backyard. And, um, you know, this is a pretty popular tree. What happened was, it, when they went into Jerusalem, we'll read this in a moment, the disciples in the crowd laid these on the road, almost like a red carpet for the king entering Jerusalem. 
We're going to talk a little about him being the king and him being something that most people didn't understand. But I want you to remember. And so here's what I thought I'd do. I'm going to give you a little souvenir. So David Jackson, our head usher, if you would grab these. And what I want to ask, and I have uh, James Russell, our other, our other usher, he's going to have some hand sanitizer uh, just so you, you can, you know, you can have that handy. That'll be passed through the aisle. But what we're going to do is I want to just ask for you to take a, a scissor. It's going to pass through the aisle during the sermon and just cut a piece, whichever one you want. Cut a piece, put it in your pocket, put fold it in your Bible, wherever you want, as a remembrance of Palm Sunday and who Jesus is. Thank you, David. Amen. All right. So that'll be going on just during the sermon. Uh, pay attention while you're doing that. I know most of the ladies will have no problem. Uh, obviously, multitasking. The guys will be focused on making sure they make the right cut. That's good. Sorry, man, that I'm I know me. I'm, I'm central focus. I have a one track. I can do one thing at a time. Um, so that's just how it is. You know, this passage also reflects on the power of the cross. And it makes me think a lot about eternity. And this week was a sad week for my family. The Lansbury family dog, little Toby, passed away this week. Yes, little Toby. He had been sick for the past month quite severely. He was almost 13 years old. He was, you know, which is a good age for a dog. I guess that's almost 90, close to 90 as a human. So he was, he had a good life, but he, he, he was not doing well, wasn't eating, was uh, just not doing well for quite a while. We took him to the vet and they confirmed he had a big mass on his liver. And uh, he was going to pass, so he was barely able to walk and do anything. So we brought him in. We got the whole family together, and um, we went into the vet, and, and we, we prayed, all of us in a circle. My son Kyle with his wife Jasmine came up, and, and Carrie and Nathan and Caitlin and Lynn and myself. And we, we were just with Toby, and we prayed. And, you know, it makes you think about eternal things. Um, I know if you don't have a dog, um, you might be like, what? What's the big deal? Like, I, I'll confess, when I was a little, you know, younger, I was not sensitized to that until I got a dog with my family. They can be very emotionally attached. And so it makes you think a lot about eternity and life. And, you know, and I do believe all dogs go to heaven. Uh, I was commenting to another brother, there's going to be a lot of dogs in heaven because dogs don't live as long. So there's lots of them. And, they, you know, there's a lot of them. But that's fine. The Lord is able to have infinite goodness in his new creation. Amen. So, but it does make me think about eternal things. And today we want to talk about eternal things. The question, the overall question is, who is this on Palm Sunday? We're going to read one of the passages. All four of the gospel writers give us an account of Jesus' entrance in to Jerusalem on Passion Week. And we do read in the book of John that it actually says they, they had palm branches, which were a sign. You bring those out for royalty when they laid them on the, on the street. It's a sign of like the red carpet idea. It's a sign of honor. And, and, and if you're realizing somebody special is coming to town. And so today is Palm Sunday and we're going to read the Matthew account. And I have uh, some, some details I want us to pull out of that as we read it. So let's read together the Matthew account of his entrance into Jerusalem. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. 
Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Amen. So that's the account. A couple interesting things I'll tell you. Um, when Jesus, many people wondered, I know, how did he sit on both the donkey and the, and the, and the colt of the donkey? Uh, other accounts are that he just rode the colt. And most historians say he, he rode in on, uh, probably the donkey for most of the way there. And then as he got closer to Jerusalem, cause the, the younger donkey, the, the foal, the, the, the colt would have been weaker. He would have just ridden the, the, the little one in the last passageway into the city. And so that makes sense. That's all, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit here. Um, this is an incredible story. And the question you see here is, who is this? Who is this? They wondered who it is. And that's the question we all need to ask today. And I want to answer it for us, but I want us to reflect on how we actually would ask that question if we were there in the crowd. We'll get to that as well. But let's, let's dig in a little bit to the passage. We find in the first part that as they approached Jerusalem, of course, I mentioned that it made sense for the big stuff in Jesus' life. In fact, most of the Gospels, the bulk of the Gospels center around the last week of Jesus' life. We read in John that if all the things that Jesus did were written down, no books could contain all the things he had done. But the gospel writers put an enormous amount of energy into the last weeks of his life. Of course, we have whole passages in the book of John and the upper room discourse. So much depth because it's so important. And I hope that you understand that historically today is the anniversary of that entrance. And it's cool to know that we worship a real, practical, historical figure in life. And this is a historical day. So he's entering to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the make it and shake it and, and influential city of the day. And, you know, I love the fact that we get to be a part of the West Side Church because we're an influential part of Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is an influential city on this planet. We and our beliefs and our convictions and what we teach and what we do can reverberate all around the world. And it is. It's awesome. Jesus knew this is a way to kick off his ministry and make great things happen was the crescendo of his ministry would be in this great big city. And we read that he says, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, which probably if they owned the donkey, they would say the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. In the other accounts, it, it says, you know, the, the writers say, well, they did ask and they told them the Lord needs them. And they said, OK, you can have it. So what I find amazing here is that and I talked this through with my 12 my year old. We're like, how did that happen? Like, 
He just said, tell them the Lord needs them, and they let them go. With their, you know, that's kind of valuable. You know, we wouldn't just let anybody just grab our car and say, hey, man, uh, the Lord needs my car. Oh, just take it. Especially some person you didn't know that came up to you to say that, right? And we're, we don't have the, the evidence that he did know, but may, maybe somehow Jesus had sent messengers ahead. It doesn't seem that that's the case. But we do read that they agreed, no problem, take, take my car, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe the donkey wasn't, you know, I have a 2005 Chevy truck, it's pretty awesome, I love it, had it for like a long time, I've had it for like 13, 14 years, and maybe it's like a donkey, it's like it takes me everywhere I need to go, it's not the most valuable car, but it's valuable, right, I mean, I mean, my son keeps offering me my money for it, my older son, he, he, he's been wanting it since he was 16, and, uh, but you know, you don't just, I don't just, and I let a lot of you borrow it, but you know, I, I try to be selective on who drives it, that you don't crash it. And, uh, we have to, be, we don't just let anyone borrow stuff or take stuff, right? Soon, there's no mention he's going to give it back. And so what comes to my mind when I read this is that Jesus is king of all possessions. Hey, just tell him the Lord needs it. Okay. The Lord needs it. Fine. You can have it. Jesus is a different kind of king. He's the king of all possessions, church. And we live in a very materialistic world. We live in a world that's the richest in history. And greed, we read in scripture many times that greed is a root of all kinds of evil. Jesus said, watch out for all kinds of greed. And it's a struggle. We are all struggling with it. I know you are. Everyone does because you live in America. You're inundated with materialistic messages all day long. We all struggle with it. Yet Jesus is the king of possessions. He's the king. He's the Lord. He actually owns everything. He actually owns all resources and all gifts and all money and all companies. He's the source of all this stuff, the creator, the source of everything. So what is he asking for? You know, if Jesus said, hey, the Lord needs it, would you just say, no problem, take it? How are you doing with that, church? Hey, if you need this, no problem, take it. It's the Lord's. I love that so many of you as disciples open up your homes and and we need that, right? We, the church is not, we rent our facilities. And even if we had a building, most of church doesn't just always occur, or the activity of church doesn't occur just in a building. It occurs in homes, over and over. People's families, people's, you know, living places. I love that uh, the baptism for Reagan was over at the Salvato home. Amen. Thank you, Nick and Gus, for opening up your home right by the beach so we can baptize people. Amen. They're like, hey, it's the Lord's home. And, you know, later today... I want to just throw this out while it's on my mind. At 2.30, we're going to be back at their house for Paige Hall, who will get baptized today. So, Paige, I see you out there. Super excited about that. Super excited. But thank you, Salvados. Thank you so many of you that open up your homes. Uh, You know, some of us, we give our talents and our resources in all kinds of ways. I do want to say Jesus is the Lord of all our possessions. And as a family, as a church, we are interested in building the spiritual family and advancing the gospel. But let me explain something. You know, God's plan to change the world, his original plan is to create local congregations throughout the whole planet. And it's within those local congregations that that, that you experience Jesus and his healing and his ministry 
and worship. And I mean, I'm so grateful. Aren't you guys, do you realize we have some of the highest, most talented professional musicians who volunteered to, to lead our worship? They, these guys are professionals. And we get to enjoy, I come to church, I'm like, this is amazing. How, just to enjoy worship, to be led by all this, this talent. The local church is needed, guys. And I want to say to the church, Jesus is the king of possessions. I want to ask you today, are you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you said, hey, I am a disciple of Jesus. Then the call for you is to give up everything. And that does mean your resources financially to the kingdom of God, to Jesus. And so you need to ask yourself, if Jesus asks, hey, you know, the Lord needs it, do you give? Do you give to the local church congregation? It's really important. Some of us get confused about that. But I want you to realize if we don't give, and the Bible talks a lot about this. Oscar talked on Wednesday night about this to the professionals. He was talking about Malachi and how, you know, test me in this. And Oscar's like, man, I tested God. I always had, I was way over tithing. Steve was saying maybe I shouldn't way over tithe because I had to reel it in a little and, and organize. And, and, but he's like, but I, I kept giving. Of course, then the rock gave him his truck. And he's like, test me in this. And he had a lot of other great stuff to share about how God just poured out blessings. But I want to ask us, guys, we are called, the Old Testament talks about this, New Testament talks, we we give on a regular, consistent, weekly basis. We give to the work of the kingdom of God, to the Lord, so that he then flourishes. He then creates things. A lot of, you wouldn't have hope worldwide without the, without the local church. You wouldn't have benevolence without the local church. You wouldn't have all the, the missional stuff that we do that meets needs in the community and people without our congregation surviving. You guys with me? And I have looked lately at how we've done as a congregation in that area. And I just want to say we're, we're down. We've had some people moving along and move people moving in. But I want to ask each of us just to look in our hearts and go, am, am I, am I putting my resources at the feet of Jesus, because I have faith and I trust him, and I'm consistent, responsible, and sacrificial, because God's dreams go way beyond our dreams. But we got to prove faithful to him being the king in that area. Amen? So he's the king of our possessions. Let's go on. In verse 4, he says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This is uh, Zephaniah, or Zechariah, rather, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 9, that, that he's quoting, right? Matthew's referencing this. I doubt that at the time he was riding in on a donkey that any of, of the people really remembered that obscure verse in Zechariah. Although maybe some of the, the astute ones did. We're not, you know, maybe that's part of it. Some of them did. But I think the average person in the city probably didn't get it. And that's why they were like, what's going on out here? And we'll, we'll hit that in a minute. But you see in this verse from Zechariah, it says, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes, your king, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey, not on a white stallion in a chariot, you know, not in a, in a, in a procession of so much great pomp that look how powerful I'm going to be. He rides in on, on the, on the young fold, the young baby donkey into the city. Gentle and riding on a colt. What kind of king do we have, guys? We have a humble king. We have a different kind of king. A humble king. You know, the scriptures teach that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It says this in 1 Corinthians. 
God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That's 1 Corinthians 1. The weak things shame the strong. Don't you love that? I love the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. That's the king that we serve. He's a king of gentleness and grace and patience. But he also had strong convictions. You know, later on, we're not reading it today, but this is the passage where he kicks everybody out of the temple, right? As he goes in that day, he throws everybody out, which got everybody really mad. But we're not going to hit that today. But, but he was powerful and yet gentle and humble in his oversight and what he wanted to establish in his kingdom. His message was surrendering is winning. How do you like that? Losing is winning. What do you mean, right? Surrendering is winning. In Jesus, we win by surrendering, by owning our sin, not by being perfect. I've heard leaders say, I never apologize. You know, not, not spiritual leaders. These are worldly leaders. Right? I never will apologize. I never admit I'm wrong. Really? Well, you are wrong, and people can tell plain as day. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of surrender because we know we're looking for a greater nation, a greater family, a greater kingdom, an eternal kingdom. Amen? And so admitting your sin is part of victory. I remember a couple years ago, this is actually when I was leading in the Inland Empire churches. I was part of our ministry leadership group in L.A. And one of the ministries in L.A., wanted to do something um, corporately that I did not agree with. It was I was a part of the council, and they wanted to do something corporately that they, they wanted to incorporate another entity for a, a goal they had. And I was so upset. I was like, we're one corporate group. We're one organization. Why would you want to incorporate another group to do what you want? You don't trust. You don't trust, and you're lack of trust. It's you. You're dividing off. And I was just mad that they were wanting to do this. I was like... What, what is wrong? You're showing that you don't trust us. You don't, you don't want to bond with us. You want to do your own thing. And I was upset at this time. We had a big discussion about this for months on this ministry leadership council. This is it's like six years ago. And I remember during that time feeling so strongly that my viewpoint was so honoring of God, so in line with the scriptures, so in line with what unity looked like. And I wasn't going to allow this, this, this group, I wasn't going to stand for this other group making a move that I felt was a divisive move. Well, you know, luckily it wasn't only my viewpoint. Because many of the other ministry leaders who led similar sized groups deliberated, and many of us deliberated. And I was so sure that my viewpoint was, was the one that honored God. But after we got to the end of the, the, everything, and, and we went around and everybody said, hey, what, how, do, how do you want to handle this? And people were voting, okay, I, I don't think we should do anything about it. We should just let them do it and just not make this our stand. We're not going to stand on this issue for unity. Let them do what they need to do. It's fine. And at the time, I was like, what? I realized at the end of it, I, at the end, I didn't vote on it. I just abstained because I was just like, what? I couldn't believe it. And I realized afterwards, I, I was the outlier. 
My viewpoint didn't win the day. And now when I look at it, you know, our, our L.A. church family of, of churches, we're unified. We're together. We're, we're, you know, nothing broke off. They, they did do what they wanted to do. And we said, that's okay. We love you. We, we trust you. And you know what? It, it created unity. And as I reflected on it, I realized, you know, I was wrong. I'm glad I was wrong. But I was so sure I was right. Sometimes we think our viewpoint is the right viewpoint. We're so sure. We've read all the scriptures. We've considered everything. We're trying to be totally unbiased. And yet our viewpoint can end up not being the best one. And it's so hard to swallow that sometimes. I'm grateful that I was like, okay, my, my viewpoint didn't, didn't win the day. I'm so grateful. I was the outlier in that situation. I assumed everybody else was the outlier. No, it was me. And sometimes that's the case. We're wrong. We have to admit it. I can tell you I was wrong and I've told people I'm, I'm grateful that my viewpoint didn't win the day that way. And I've learned some lessons from that. Doesn't mean I, I, I don't know if I would have changed it, but I'm so grateful that I submitted to the, the collective will of the spirit of God working through people. And that's how we operate as a family. We win through surrendering. We have victory through meekness and humility. Amen. I want to hold up two sisters. I bet many of you don't even know them. A lot, we've had so many people moving in. We've had, a lot of you have been here for a while. You all know them. But people have moved in. You may not know them. One, she's at home because she had some, some, uh, some severe medical challenges a couple of years ago. We prayed for her. She's doing well. But she's, you know, definitely had some health issues. And so, but she's been a long-standing member of the West Side for so long. Faithful woman. She's such a servant. She's generous and kind and giving. And every time I see her, my heart just, I'm filled with joy. That's Doris G, right? You guys know Doris. But a lot of you probably don't know Doris. She hasn't been here. A lot of you are new. She's just golden, golden sister in our church. Another one, she's here every week. She's always around, but she doesn't like to get in front. We did get her on film once when we are at the park. I think you got to see her there. But she's always serving. But she loves serving behind the scenes. And she's uh, just a woman of great influence. But you may not know her. Her name is Mia Wigmore. A lot of you guys know Mia. She, she doesn't, she's not up, she's not up front almost ever. She prefers it. Luckily we had Scott videotaping everything. And as a consequence, we were able to get her on screen. It was great to hear her story, right? We, we heard that uh, some months ago. But, you know, these are women who aren't up front leading in this kind of way. But I guarantee you, when God looks at the, the, the higher, higher ups in his eternal kingdom, he's like, oh, Doris and Mia, they are way up there, right? Cause they, they lead through surrendering. Amen. We all need to have that kind of heart. Let's go on. Matthew 21, verse 7 says, They brought the donkey and the colt and placed the cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So you're getting your palm branch right now. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, which means salvation or you know, he saves or he's going to he's going to bring us to victory. Hosanna. It was almost like a shout of just like praise, like, I don't know, like at a party, woo, woo, like that kind of thing. It was like you would just scream something like you're fired up. Hosanna, you know, and they scream it. That's those victory celebrations. Right. And it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so we see here. That Jesus is amazing. He is the king of kings. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. It says that in Revelation 17. It says it in some other places. 
It says they wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them. The lamb will try the lamb of God, right? a little lamb, the image of Eve will triumph over them. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So you look at all the kings on the earth right now, the presidents, prime ministers. Jesus is the king of all of them. And I guarantee you, he's not happy with the state of society. And he's not happy with a lot of stuff going on in our world right now. I am heartbroken over the wars going on, right? I'm heartbroken over that. Praying. We have churches, we have, we have churches in Russia and Ukraine. We have brothers and sisters in both countries in this terrible, evil war. They say war is hell. And that's an accurate statement. The king of kings, I guarantee you, is not happy about it. And we're his sons and daughters. We're his arms, eyes, ears, and legs. We've got to be praying, church, about this for it to end. We've got to be begging God for it to end. There's work to do in the building of the kingdom, and wars put a major stop on that. You know, if you look at human history, why did Jesus come during the time of the Roman Empire? There were no wars during that time because Rome had conquered everyone. It was known as the Pax Romana, 200 years of peace, so that the word of God could propagate to all lands. Paul went to all these countries. He was a Roman citizen, had total freedom to go anywhere and preach the gospel. Now, he still suffered. But let me tell you, wars are not good. We want peace. And I don't know, I'm just going to pray every day. But Jesus is absolutely the king of kings, and all will be held accountable to him. He's the most impacting man in all of history. He clarifies our mission. Right? He calls us to give up our lives for the good news and new creation. He calls us to something great. He gives our life meaning. He calms us. He comforts our souls. He calls us to something great. He keeps us satisfied with spiritual fulfillment. Jesus has made the greatest impact in humanity and will continue to make the greatest impact because he truly is king of kings. But when you realize that, it begins to to change you. It's challenging to recognize that he's the king of kings. It means you've got to make some changes. It means he's calling you to submit to him, to honor him, to live according to his ways. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And we don't, I know, I think we don't like that. I think, you know, raising a 12 year old, I can relate. For some reason in our nature, we don't like obeying. There's something about it. Like we just, it's in us, right? We don't like it. It's hard. Like my 12 year old, he wrestles like that. I don't want to do it. I know I should, but I don't want to. I'm like, why not? I don't know why. I just don't want to. I want to do what I want to do, what I want to do, and how I want to do it. Like I understand. I can relate. I do too sometimes. Please go out and take care of A, B, and C that I need you to do. And he's like, I'll do it. But we, we wrestle with obedience. And that's where the love comes in. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey. But if he's the king of kings, there's a call on your individual lives to get uncomfortable, to make changes, to deal with sexual sin, to deal with financial sin, to deal with deceit in our lives, to deal with disunity with people, to not live a life of self consumed gratification, but to live a life of sacrifice for others. This is hard. It's hard to even show up to church, especially on one Wednesday nights, right? I know that is for most of us lately. And we're working on that. But it's hard. But he's the king 
of kings, church. He's the king of kings. And I want to call on us to ask, do we make him the king truly of our life? When he entered the city, they asked, who is this? Why? Because it caused an uproar. They were laying down palm branches like he's the king. Well, if you didn't know the scripture, you hadn't followed Jesus. You hadn't been there when he raised Lazarus. Now, a lot of people had been there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Only two miles away in Bethany, right? He'd been there. And so a lot of the people had been at that, and they were blown away by Jesus raising another guy from the dead. And that created some of the energy. But a lot of people in the city, the city was a big city. They didn't know who he was. Why is everybody in an uproar? Who is this guy walking in on a donkey? I mean, did, would have you been able to find that scripture in your Bible reading? I guarantee you even good, you know, Sabbath school Jews didn't really know that verse. Right? Even later, they, it says they learned, they remembered it and they put it here. Of course, Matthew wrote it in the gospel. But he had no idea what was going on when he was there with Jesus. And yet people recognized something big is going on. He, He is the king. They said, he's a prophet. But you know, he's far more than a prophet. He's the son of the living God, Peter said. And I want to ask us this question today. Who is this? And how you ask the question reflects where your heart is at. It's the tone of voice, right? So imagine you're in the city and you went, who is this? What is your what is your mindset? Where's your heart? Who is this? There's a dismay, a contemptuousness. Like what? Especially if you are, say you're one of the higher up religious leaders, and this guy's coming in, and everybody's like, you knew maybe you'd heard a little bit about him, and they're treating him like he's the king. Who is this? Others may be like, who is this causing my day to get disrupted? Who is this that's going to make me uncomfortable? Now I got to deal with this. A lot of times that's our heart, right? We have a dismay about ourselves, dismay about who Jesus really is. Because we don't want to make the changes necessary. We don't want to deal with the hard, the hard life it brings to us. It brings deep fulfillment. But yeah, there's a calling of discomfort to make changes. Or maybe your tone of voice would be this. Who's this? Who's this? Who's that? Wow. I want to get to know that. Who's this? I want to go see, right? There's an inspiration there. There's a, I want to, I want to learn. I want to see what's going on. Same word. And I imagine in the crowd, you had a little bit of both, right? Wouldn't you think? A little bit of both. You know, who's this? Who's this? How would have you said it? How would have you said it if you were there that day? Some waved palm branches because they were like, this is incredible. Who's this? He's incredible. He's the king. They didn't fully understand the magnitude of who he was, but they knew something exciting was happening. You might not fully understand everything going on as you hear the word of God preach or as you learn about life, but you see everybody hugging each other in here. And you see people seem to be happy about something. What's going on? You ever have people ask you, hey, what's going on with you? My mom, bless her heart, she passed away in 09, but... She used to ask me, hey, what's going on? Why are you guys always so happy over there in that church? What's going on? I want to understand that. I want to get that. I want to understand what's giving you that little sparkle in your eye. Are you inspired today or are you dismayed? Are you inspired or dismayed by Jesus being the king of all the world? And that's the question for us as we consider Passion Week. 
Jesus is the king of what we own. Jesus is this humble, upside-down king that calls us to win by surrendering. And Jesus is the king of kings that calls us to change everything. And it will be uncomfortable. But who is this? Today, are you dismayed by what it really means as you look at your relationship with God? As you enter into this week, will we remember his death on the cross? Are you dismayed by the call on your life or are you inspired? And that's the question. We're going to take time right now. and We as a congregation, when we take communion, we realize that communion is not just a remembrance of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's a time to bond and commune, to be with each other and understand this this common mission and partnership. And so what we like to do is have just a a short five-minute talk just with the person right next to you or right behind you, or you can add two or three, just right where you're sitting. And then I'll come back and I will pray as we remember the fruit of the vine and the bread representing his body and his bloodshed. That will happen later this week as we commemorate that. But let's go ahead right now and take a five-minute discussion before we take communion. Amen. I love you guys. Okay, guys, let's, um, we're going to pray. We're going to pray at this time. Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much for your word. And for, I know this week, Lord, as we remember Jesus entering the city and then going to the cross on, on Friday. Um, each day we remember this, Father, and certainly each week. We, we take communion. You instituted, you asked us, Lord, to take this to Remember your body given for us, your very life given for us. Because we need, we need forgiveness. We need a new start. Your blood shed. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing us, for paying for what we really deserve. And we're just so grateful for the hope of, of freedom and new life. And Father, we, uh, we want to be inspired when we think who Jesus is. We want to be inspired, not dismayed. Help our heart be totally humbled at the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.